I'm Stephanie Lummock, and this is Building Trauma-Informed Workplaces. Today, we'll be talking about the sixth principle of trauma-informed workplace cultures, humility and responsiveness. The old adage, hurt people, hurt people, comes to mind when we talk about this topic. As we've explored in earlier episodes, traumatic experiences are common, and the effects of trauma can appear in sometimes unexpected ways including in ways that may harm others. It's important to remember that prior trauma is never an excuse to harm others. However, it's also worth noting that unaddressed trauma or environments that are not trauma-informed can exacerbate that potential harm. Organizations and individuals may cause harm for a variety of reasons. All of us do at some point in our lives. Again, even when we have the best of intentions. So since we're focused on creating both processes and cultures that are trauma-informed, it's important that an avenue exists that acknowledges the likeliness of missteps and for moving past them in a productive, trauma-informed way. That way we can ensure our ongoing growth and success, both as an individual and as part of a team. Or organization. Humility is a value that is key in this scenario. Organizational leaders must show humility and infuse it into their organizational cultures for those cultures to truly be trauma-informed. And like a lot of terms that we talk about on this podcast, in my work with the wounded workforce, humility is a word that gets thrown around quite a bit. So again, want to make sure we're all working from a shared place of understanding. So I want to make sure we're defining humility to make sure we're all on the same page. At a basic level, humility relates to the degree to which we value and promote our interest above others. In J.P. Tangi's Handbook of Positive Psychology, six intrapersonal aspects of humility are identified that are helpful for understanding the concept of humility. They are a willingness to see ourselves truthfully, an accurate perception of our place in the world, an ability to acknowledge our mistakes and limitations, openness, low self-focus, and an appreciation of the value of all things. Without humility, it's very difficult for individuals and organizations to acknowledge their errors, missteps, or different perspectives that showcase potential harm. The openness and appreciation for others ingrained in this definition is key, recognition of harm and missteps. There's also a really important nuance I want to address when it comes to humility and the workplace, or really, honestly, this nuance exists anywhere um, in in our lives. Humility can be a difficult tightrope to walk for historically marginalized groups. For example, as a woman, displaying the level of appropriate confidence to lead and be seen as credible can be quite difficult to balance with coming across as humble, especially with a wide range of differing expectations and stereotypes at play. So while humility is important, remember that your biases or the biases of others can still come into play here 
and to refer back to your key aspects of humility that we just referenced. I'm also really excited to dive into some more of the nuance here, some more of intersectional challenges related to this topic next week on the podcast. So make sure and tune in for that episode. It's important to keep in mind, our sixth principle isn't just about humility. In fact, humility alone isn't enough when it comes to kind of checking the box, so to speak around the sixth principle of trauma-informed cultures. Without meaningful action and acknowledgement to correct harm, issues remain and often fester, getting worse and creating new issues, often impacting even more people. Responsiveness works hand-in-hand with humility to complete this trauma-informed principle for that reason. Inciting responsiveness, we're acknowledging that action is required for a trauma-informed approach. In organizations, when harm or other issues arise, a response, and an expedient one, is vital. Of course, the appropriate response will vary depending on the scenario, but let's go ahead and explore some key overarching components to responsiveness. The first is listening and openness to feedback. To respond first, we must be open to feedback and listen to a diverse array of voices within our organization and within the communities we serve. This is why having that core value of humility within your organization really helps. This should feel more natural if you and your team are used to making it a practice in your day-to-day lives. A reminder here, positional power and differences in style may make it harder for individuals to offer unsolicited feedback, especially if that feedback is a critique. You know me, I've got to talk about power dynamics at least a little bit uh, when we approach these topics because, of course, they're always coming into play. So given these realities around power dynamics, differences in personal style, communication style, to effectively listen Deliberate channels for soliciting and responding to feedback will make it easier to quickly recognize and rectify harm. So those channels can look like employee surveys, anonymous reporting, open door policies. There are a variety of different ways you can move through channels to solicit that proactive feedback to actively listen to your employees, to the communities you serve. Also note, feedback is not always going to be verbal or written. Pay attention to shifts in behaviors and interactions as additional clues that something may be wrong. Once you find an issue that needs to be addressed, create space and time to fully listen and understand the issue and any potential harm at hand. That idea of active listening is so, so important here. Really, this is the moment to dive in and fully seek to understand the full scenario from those differing perspectives. This is not the time to respond. This phase of listening is not the time to respond. This is the time to engage in deep listening and attempt to better understand all concerns and harm. Being heard for many is a key part of having harm addressed. Do not rush through the listening process or you actually may create additional issues. 
If you haven't checked it out yet, I highly recommend Catherine Manning's book. It offers a very useful, amazing practice um, around the laser method for addressing these types of issues specifically in the workplace and the holding space for listening and then working through these types of conversations. Absolutely an amazing read, super practical, easy, useful read. I think every leader should read it. Also, if you haven't had the chance, Catherine briefly walks through the laser method with us on her podcast she joined us for earlier this season. Next, let's talk about acknowledgement. Once you're aware of the harm, it's important to acknowledge the issue quickly. Perhaps more time is needed to come to a solution, and that's okay. The key here is acknowledging harm was done, taking accountability as needed, and being transparent as it relates to next steps. Don't delay acknowledgement. It is an important component to being heard and seen. Remember, even if all you can offer is, hey, we know we messed up, we don't have a solution to resolve the situation yet, but we're working on it and we'll keep you updated, that is absolutely perfect for moving forward, addressing the issue quickly. It is better than waiting to respond or ignoring the issue. I get it. I love to have that perfect wrapped up in a bow statement, perfect response, ready to go. And I've made the mistake several times in my life, in my career, where I waited to have that perfect response ready to go. And you know what? Every time it would have been better to acknowledge quick, quickly than to get everything lined up perfectly and let those things fester. So again, really focus on that acknowledgement happening quickly. Next, let's talk a little bit about apology. Apology for harm, whether intentional or not, is an important step in responsiveness. Apologies may not always be warranted, but often they are, and they must be delivered carefully to achieve the desired effect. We've all been on the receiving end of an empty apology, and they offer little to no meaning, and honestly, I think sometimes create even more harm. I know personally, for me, empty apologies are worse than no apology at all. There is a ton of wonderful content on apology and the components to a good apology, but for our purposes, we will keep it simple. First, your apology needs to be sincere, and you need to have your motive in mind, ideally acknowledging and correcting harm or repairing your relationship. When you aren't apologizing for the right reasons, it often can seem insincere. Your apology should also be clear on what you're apologizing for, acknowledge the harm caused, and note any next steps or meaningful actions. There is a lot of amazing content, amazing research around apology. I look forward to talking more about it in depth in a future episode of the podcast. Lastly, let's talk about a huge part of responsiveness meaningful action. This may be a follow-up to correct harm done actively, or it may be steps taken to ensure harm is not created in the future. 
But it's important if you promise action, you take it. Otherwise, you risk significant issues as it relates to trust. It's also important to look for ways to take action, even if you cannot undo the harm. Action is tangible. It cements the words with your works. If you are struggling with what action you can take, this is another moment to listen and ask those who are harmed to look as what to look at what would be most meaningful in terms of meaningful action. I also want to offer a quick word on forgiveness and moving forward. Forgiveness is often an expectation following an apology or a recognition of harm being done. Forgiveness is wonderful and very powerful, but be cautious if you are the person or organization doing the harm and having any expectation of forgiveness following harmful action. Forgiveness is not owed, and each person will respond to issues differently. Focus on what you can control, your actions moving forward, and looking to repair the relationship. Let's also acknowledge that sometimes relationships cannot be repaired. Even when that occurs, responsiveness is still important to show commitment to minimizing harm to all others in your organization, in your community, in your network, and learning to create a more inclusive environment. It's also about who you are, who your organization is. Apology, taking action, that humility and responsiveness is about who you are, who your organization is. So even though perhaps you don't receive forgiveness, perhaps relationships aren't repaired, the actions you take are a reflection of your values and your commitment moving forward. As we discuss humility and responsiveness, it's important we at least briefly discuss institutional betrayal. Again, in our episode earlier this year with Katherine Manning, she offered great insights into the concept. And if you, again, if you haven't listened to it, make sure you check that out. It's it's a really fantastic conversation. Institutional betrayal is when an organization or institution you trust and depend on mistreats you or causes you harm. Very relevant in the topic we're talking about today. When traumatic experiences occur in or as a direct result of the workplace, feelings of institutional betrayal can be significant and beyond just that of the traumatic experience, but also of that breaking of trust in the institution, in the organization. Betrayal of trust can be difficult to recover from, and the relationship may permanently suffer. Scenarios of institutional betrayal can take a dedicated, high-performing, and engaged team member to one completely at odds with the organization. Preventing harm in the first place is paramount to avoiding institutional betrayal and is a core goal of trauma-informed workplaces. When we look at this concept of institutional betrayal, humility and responsiveness throughout the organization, especially with leaders, managers, HR, those in positions of power, it's imperative for a successful organization. And it actually can be an avenue to really create long-term loyalty, belonging, and affinity within your organization as well. It can be a really powerful, positive tool. Humility and responsiveness can be one of the most challenging principles of trauma-informed workplaces to talk about. 
it's hard to acknowledge that we make mistakes, especially when we cause harm because of those mistakes. But it's also vital to ensure at a truly trauma-informed culture that we are honoring and embodying humility and responsiveness. What's great about this principle as well is it really can create an evergreen way to iterate on culture and values, to continue on the journey of a trauma-informed culture, to continue to improve and grow and develop and respond to the changing needs of your workforce, your customers, the communities you serve, which alone is, is really quite powerful. Humility and responsiveness is so important. And remember that we all make mistakes. The key is how we move forward from them. Make sure and listen in next week. We have a phenomenal guest joining us to talk about the final principle of trauma-informed cultures, cultural, historical, and gender issues. Until next time, thank you and be well.